Hey, if you brought your storybooks with you, will you go ahead and take those out and turn to chapter 30? And if you're here for the first time today and you said storybooks, huh? Um, I'm talking about this. Um, for the better part of this year, we have been studying through the Bible from Genesis all the way to Revelation. We're just about done. We have today and next week. But we've been using a resource to help us in that study called the story, which is uh, this book right here. It's large portions of the Bible, word for word, arranged in chronological order and divided up into 31 chapters. And you start from chapter one, read all the way through, and it will help you go through the story of the Bible word for word as it's written in the Bible. And it's just been an incredible tool for us. Um, if you're here for the first time, you're like, man, I would love something like that. Well, we have a copy just for you. It's got your name on it. Well, not yet, but you'll have to put your name in it. But if you'll go to our welcome center right after church today, just say, I would love my own copy of the story. We'd love to give you one. It's our gift to you, absolutely free. And it's also our invitation for you to come back and join us. Even though we've only got one more Sunday after today, we believe that if you'll just read this and, and just read it uh, from beginning to end, the Lord is going to speak to you. The Lord is going to show you some things, and we want to give you that um, and, and want you to come be a part of it with us. But as I just mentioned, next week we will be at the end of the story, and I promise you, you're not going to want to miss next Sunday. You're going to want to be here. We're going to bring in this whole series to a conclusion, and I believe you're going to be inspired and encouraged by the end of this story. How it ends is phenomenal, and, and I don't want you to miss it. Now, last week, we, we began talking very much in depth about the Apostle Paul, arguably the greatest evangelist in the New Testament. He didn't start that way. He started as somebody who persecuted the church, but then he met Jesus, and it changed his life. Can anyone relate? And so it changed his life. And then he went on to plant about 10 churches um, in the area. And the, the evangelism of the gospel had just exploded around the known world. And Paul had a huge part of that. He would end up writing 13 of the books of the New Testament. So this guy had a lot of influence. The Lord used him in amazing ways. And, and what we saw last week is that hardship marked his journey, didn't it? He wrote about how hard it was to, to go through everyday life, but it was a joy of his. And so we see this unwavering commitment in his life. We, we see this uh, patience that he had. We see this love. We have this joy that just comes out of him. And as we move into chapter 30 today, we begin chapter 30 at what is known as the end of his third missionary journey. Paul made three missionary journeys throughout his lifetime, planting churches all over the place. And if you have your regular Bible with you, and if that Bible has some maps in the back of it, most likely one of those maps will be called Paul's Three Missionary Journeys. And you can kind of trace. It's kind of a neat exercise to do to read through the, the, the book of Acts and, and to trace all the places that Paul went on the map. It's, all those places are still there. You can visit them today. Influence is still there. It's pretty incredible. But today we pick up with, at the conclusion of his third missionary journey, and we learn that God has laid it upon Paul's heart to go to Jerusalem, okay? To go to Jerusalem and then on to Rome. And he's very passionate about this. He's like, I've got to go. I've got to go. Let's read it together. We're going to be on page 439 of your storybooks. And if you're using your regular Bible, this is Acts chapter 20, verse 22. Paul says, and now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I Excuse me. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me 
My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. We read that and we go, Paul knew exactly why he was put on this earth. Do you know why you were put on this earth? I mean, it makes you kind of wonder, do, do you really know? Could you articulate, I am on this earth today for this reason. Paul articulates it for us. He says, I must finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given him. Well, what task is that? The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Paul's like, I know why I'm here. I know what my role is, and I know what I have to do. And to finish this task that the Lord has put on my heart to do, I have to go to Jerusalem. There's work there that I have to do. And every single one of his friends was like, Paul, please don't do that. Have you ever been in a situation where you're like, God has put this on my heart, and I have to go, and then all your friends are like, no, are you sure? And this is what's going on with Paul. They begged and they pleaded with him not to go. Why in the world would all of Paul's friends, and these are all Christians that he's with, why would they urge him not to go? They didn't want him to go because they knew exactly how dangerous this trip would be. They knew that it could very well be a suicide trip. They knew it. And they didn't want him to go. You see, the Jews in Jerusalem at this time pretty much hated Paul. He used to be one of them. He used to be with them against the church, but then he turned to the other side, if you will. And then he began to preach this message, that salvation, now let me break that down, eternal life, living forever in heaven with God, salvation was available to everyone through Jesus Christ, and that anybody could receive the forgiveness of their sins and be among what is known as God's chosen people, or we sometimes call it God's family. Consequently, that is still the same message we preach today. And so they didn't like that message. You know why they didn't like that message? Because they rejected Jesus. They rejected the Messiah. And they had this long-held belief, and we studied all about it coming up through the Old Testament, this long-held belief that God's chosen, God's special people is going to be the Israelites. And this, all this Messiah talk is nothing but rubbish, this Jesus talk. Uh, no, no, no. It infringes on our traditions. It infringes on what we have taught for years. And they're like, want nothing of it. And if Paul comes into Jerusalem preaching this message that salvation is available for anybody, regardless of whether you're a man or a woman, you're an older person or a younger person, whether you speak this language or this language, you're from this neighborhood or this neighborhood, your skin color is this, your skin color is that, uh, salvation is available to you and none of that stuff matters. Paul's going to go preach that message and they're not going to like it. And so his friends are like, please don't go, Paul. It's dangerous. And Paul is like, I have to go. And so he goes. And it, may, it does not surprise us, does it? Because of what? He has this unwavering commitment that we talked about last week. There is no quit in him. Remember when he got stoned and they dragged him out of the city? And then when he woke up, he went back into the city? This is the kind of guy we're talking about here. And so here's what happens. Page 441. This is Acts chapter 21, verse 27. He goes into Jerusalem, and some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul at the temple. Okay, so we are at the temple area. This is the hotbed for the Jewish faith, okay? So he is right in the mix. 
And they stirred up the whole crowd and seized him, shouting, Fellow Israelites, help us! This is the man who teaches everyone everywhere against our people and our laws and this place, the temple. And besides, he has brought Greeks into the temple. In other words, he brought somebody who wasn't Jewish. He brought a Greek in there and defiled this holy place. They had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, in the city with Paul and assumed that Paul had brought him into the temple. So what you have here is you kind of have this playground mentality taking over the temple area, okay? I don't know how it is today, but when I was in junior high, if you hear of a fight, if somebody goes, fight, fight, it doesn't matter where you are on the playground, you come a-running, right? That's, this is, it's just like, this is just what you do. You drop everything. Everything, and you run and you find out what's going on. This is kind of the mentality that's happening in the temple area. Somebody yells, it's Paul, get him. And everybody kind of drops everything and they come running. Look what happens next. The whole city was aroused and the people came running from all directions, seizing Paul. They dragged him from the temple and immediately the gates were shut. I guess somebody was on gate duty. You know, that one kid that's like, you know, and they shut the gate. Everything's kind of contained as best as they can. They're going to get their vengeance. While they were trying to kill him, News reached the commander of the Roman troops that the whole city was in an uproar. For those that may not know, uh, Jerusalem back in this day was overseen by the Roman government, all right? And so they, the soldiers, the commanders, they were in charge of keeping the peace in the city. They didn't like these religious uprisings. And so news of this riot that's taking place reaches one of these commanders. So he took some officers and soldiers and ran down to the crowd. When the rioters saw the commander and his soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. That's some pretty strong hatred. In fact, their worst fears are coming to life, right? They're like, we, it's almost like his friends would be maybe saying at this point, we told him not to go. And look what happened to him. He gets beat up in a riot, and, 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 um, and, and this is the situation he's in. Now what's interesting is that before Paul ever went to Jerusalem, there was this prophet named Agabus that hunted Paul down to find him to give him a special message about his trip to Jerusalem. If you flip back a page in your storybook to page 440, um, this is Acts chapter 21, verse 11, we read about this. So Paul, this is before he goes to Jerusalem, so we're gonna go back a few days now. He is in Caesarea, which is the town as he's coming into Jerusalem. It's over by the coast. He's, he's making his way. He spends some time in Caesarea. And this prophet named Agabus comes to see him in Caesarea. And this is what we read. After we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it, and said... The Holy Spirit says, in this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and hand him over to the Gentiles. That's a pretty incredible visual, isn't it? This man of God finds Paul, takes Paul's belt, ties his hands and feet with it, and just says this, hey, whoever owns this belt is going to be bound up just like this. I don't know, friends, I'm telling you, I'm not sure I'd want to be at the front of that line heading over to Jerusalem after that little visual. This is what's going to happen to you. But after Agabus' warning, 
Paul says this. It's powerful. He says, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. When he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. So his friends finally just had to throw their hands up and say, there's no change in your mind. Even this little visual thing with Agabus did with the belt's not going to change your mind. And so they just said, the Lord's will be done. And Paul went to Jerusalem for one reason, because God told him to do it. That's it. Paul knows, perhaps better than anyone, that when God gives you the direction, you obey, even when God's direction doesn't make sense to anyone else around you. You still have to obey, and that is what Paul is doing. And he says, I gotta go to Jerusalem. God told me to do it, and he said this, it's okay, because I'm ready not only to be bound, but I am also ready to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I read that, and I see this confidence, and I see this dedication, and this obedience, and it brings me to this conclusion this. You know, you're going to know that your walk with the Lord is headed in the right direction when you choose to obey God regardless of the circumstances and you leave the consequences of that obedience to him. That's how you know. You say, I'm going to be obedient to the Lord. That's all I'm going to do. And the consequences from that obedience, well, I'm going to let the Lord handle those details. Now, let me tell you this. I, I don't know if any of us have ever been bound or we're going to be put to death for our faith, but can I tell you how some of this plays out in our world about obedience and just letting the consequences let God handle those things? If you've ever had a boss who came to you, and, or maybe this is happening to you right now, and says, hey, we need to deal with this person this way, and it's a little bit shady, and maybe it's dishonest. Maybe it's dishonest to make a sell, or maybe to you know, do something to help you rise up in the chain of command, if you will, but it violates your integrity, and you have to make this decision. Am I going to obey what God wants me to do, or am I going to obey what this guy wants me to do? This is how this plays out in the real world. Say, I'm going to obey the Lord, and I'm going to allow the consequences of that obedience literally be in God's hands and not mine. Here's how it also plays out. How about choosing to obey God by not being intimate with your boyfriend or girlfriend before marriage? And you say, you know what? I am going to obey the Lord because he said that there, the intimacy is reserved for the marriage relationship and I'm going to obey God. And that obedience may cost me that relationship. But I'm going to let God deal with those conclusions. I'm going to be obedient. You see, this is how it plays out in today's world. I am going to be obedient to the Lord, regardless of my circumstances, regardless if it would be easier to do this or less painful to go that way, or regardless if it doesn't make sense to my friends, I will be obedient to the Lord, regardless of my circumstances, and I'm going to leave the consequences to him. Have you seen the 1981 movie Chariots of Fire? Have you heard of it? It's the story, it's based on, on true events, but it's the story of Eric Liddell. He was a 1924 Olympian, and uh, when he found out he got to go to the Olympics, obviously it was great news, but then he found out one of the heats that he was going to have to run in was going to be run on Sunday. Now, most people would say big deal. Probably most of us in here today would probably say big deal, but for him, he had this strong conviction 
that, you know what, on Sunday, it's the Lord's Day, um, he had a connection with Saturday and the Sabbath, and the way he was thinking, I'm not going to do it. Now, whether you agree with that or not, he was convicted by his belief, what he thought God was telling him to do. And so he made this decision, I'm not going to run. Now, if you've worked for something your whole life, you might say, well, that's just a little thing. Who cares? It's one Sunday. You got 51 more this year. But he chose not to run. So it's a, it's a fascinating, it's a great movie, actually. Um, um, and eventually some things got changed, and he, but he never lost his conviction, and he would not compromise. And you know what? Some really good things came from his obedience to what he felt God wanted him to do. And you know, the popular thing today is what? Do your own thing. Obey yourself. That's the message that we get today. You just obey yourself. And the world sends these messages, says, you know what, this is how you're supposed to live. But that is often in conflict with what the Lord says, how he wants us to live. You know, you may be facing a situation just like that right now. In fact, the things that I've been saying these last couple minutes, probably in, it's for some of you in your spirit going, I can relate to that. And maybe you're here today for this very specific reason that God wants you to hear this. Obey the Lord regardless of what you think could happen from that and let me handle the consequences. I think some of us need to hear that today. So Paul chose to obey God and even though the consequences of that obedience put, you know, put him in a lot of physical pain, put his life in danger, he, he, he still did it. Now, in Jerusalem, they wanted to kill him, as we just read. They were about to fulfill this, and this Roman commander comes in, saves the day for Paul. I don't know if Paul would say he saved the day, but at least he kept him from being killed in that exact moment. And he goes through this, this kind of weird trial. You can read all about it in your chapter, kind of like what Jesus did. Turn over to page 445. So the Romans have Paul now. He's their prisoner, and, but they still want to kill him. These Jewish people, they still want to kill him. So this is Acts chapter 23, verse 12. The next morning, some Jews formed a conspiracy and bound themselves with an oath not to eat or drink until they had killed Paul. Please don't ever make me bind myself to an oath not to eat or drink. I will let you down. <laughs> I will fail. I'm just letting you know. There's other ways to handle stuff. <laughs> More than 40 men were involved in this plot. They went to the chief priest and the elders and said, we have taken a solemn oath not to eat anything until we have killed Paul. Now then, you and the Sanhedrin petition the commander to bring him before you on the pretext of wanting more accurate information in this case. We are ready to kill him before he gets here. They go to the clergy. They go to who's supposed to be God's leaders of the Jewish people and say, help us kill Paul. And nowhere do we hear about these religious leaders going, you know what, I remember reading when I was a kid, this, what, which commandment was it? Thou shalt, what was that? Thou, thou shalt not kill. Yeah, that one. That never came up in the conversation. It just shows you how badly Paul's message about Jesus needed to be heard. 
So in the middle of the night, the Roman commander, he found out about this murder plot. And so under, the, under their very noses, he slips Paul out in the middle of the night and he sends him to Caesarea. So they didn't know, you know, they, he got away from him. And there Paul would stay um, in Caesarea um, as a prisoner of a leader named Felix. And he would be there for two years. Now here's what's amazing. Paul goes off to Caesarea for two years because they wanted to kill him in Jerusalem. And all of a sudden, he has one-on-one -on -one conversations with one of the most powerful men in the area. The Bible tells us that Paul and Felix, they would talk often together. Here's one of those conversations. This is Acts chapter 24, verse 14. Paul says, however, I have to admit that I worship the God of our fathers as a follower of the way. Christians were known as the way back then, which they call a sect. I believe everything that agrees with the law and that is written in the prophets, and I have the same hope in God as these men, that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. So I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. Here's what happened to Paul. Because he was obedient with what God wanted him to do and just let God handle the consequences of that obedience, he has for two years a one-on-one -on -one audience with one of the most powerful men of the day. Tell me God doesn't have an upper story. But, but it gets even larger than that because after Felix, his term is over, there's a man named Festus who comes in to take over for Felix. Now, Felix leaves Paul in prison. The Bible says he, it's a political move to, to keep the Jewish people happy. Well, Paul, we can't kill him, but at least he's in prison. So Festus begins talking with Paul. And I would imagine that Paul told Festus everything he told Felix about the Lord. Festus doesn't have a clue what to do with Paul. Then King Agrippa comes into town. And so Festus is like, I'm going to bring King Agrippa over here. We're going to figure this out. And so Paul talks to King Agrippa. They don't know what to do. And so they're like, let's send him off to the big guy. Let's go off to Caesar in Rome. Now, did you see what just happened? Paul was obedient to the Lord. The Lord took care of the consequences. And what was the consequence of the, that obedience? He got to have an audience with a Roman commander, a, a leader named Felix, a leader named Festus, a king named Agrippa, and then on to Rome. God has an upper story, and he is going to use your obedience to open all kinds of doors that would not be used if you weren't obedient to the Lord. That's the way the Lord works. And so if you're sitting there thinking, you know what, my obedience isn't going to make a lick of difference in my daily life, you don't know that. You don't know what kind of obedience is going to touch somebody's heart and what God is going to use with it. So when you're like, it doesn't matter how I behave with my girlfriend. Yes, it does. It doesn't matter how I interact with my customers. Yes, it does. It doesn't matter how I conduct myself in the privacy of my own home. Yes, it does. Obedience. Let God deal with the consequences of your obedience. So... As a result of all of this, we read next that they put Paul on a boat and ship him off to Rome. Now, we're not going to go through all the details because you can easily read it on your own. It's kind of a long, fascinating journey. But eventually, Paul finds himself on this one ship with 70 or 275 other people on board. And many of them are prisoners, and just like Paul is, heading to Rome. And the Bible says the storm comes upon this boat, and, and it's called a, north, a nor'easter. I, I don't know exactly what they mean by that in the Bible, but I'm just saying it's, it's just a big old storm, okay? And, and 
everybody on the boat thinks they're going to die and that the ship is going to sink and all is lost and there is no coast guard at the time. So if your ship goes down, you're just lost, okay? And so they think they're going to die. This massive storm is just going. And then Paul stands up to talk to everyone on the board, on the ship. Here's what happens. Page 448, if you want to read along. This is Acts chapter 27, verse 22. So in the middle of this storm, Paul says to everyone on board, but now I urge you to keep up your courage because not a one of you will be lost. And I would think that's good news. Only the ship will be destroyed. That's not good news. I don't know what they were thinking at the time, but here you have Paul. So let's say they believe him. Okay, we're not going to die, but we are going to get wet. So that's basically Paul's message. The ship's going to be lost. And then Paul says something to them like this. And notice how he changes the way he talks to a ship full of non-believers. He says, last night an angel of the God to whom I belong. He's helping them identify that I worship a God and he sent me an angel and I belong to this God. He says, last night an angel of the God to whom I belong and to whom I serve stood beside me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. Because, you know, we've talked about this. The first words out of most angels' mouths is do not be afraid. He says, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Again, because he was obedient, he had an audience with these men. And this isn't the last time he gets to talk to them. You can read about this on your own. But Paul, in the middle of this storm, because he believed in the Lord, had this incredible peace in this storm. Years ago, I mean years and years ago, back during a time when many people would say the good old days, there was this farmer and he owned some land along the Atlantic seacoast, and he was constantly putting out advertisements to help. He needed to hire some guys, but nobody wanted to work with him because his farm was so close to the coast that these storms would come in without warning, and they would knock over buildings and fences and, and destroy property, and there was constant work of rebuilding, and he just couldn't get anybody to come work for him because it was such hard work. Finally, there was this older gentleman came and responded to one of his advertisements and says, I'll come work for you. And the farmer took one look at him and saw that, that he didn't fit the mold of, of somebody he was trying to hire. And he was a little bit older than what he wanted to try to hire. But he said, well, I don't have anybody else. He said, are you a good farmhand? And the man said to him, well, I can sleep when the wind blows. Let's just say that. And the farmer had no clue what he was talking about. He says, but... I don't have anybody. You're it. I'll hire you. And he actually turned out to be really good. He, he worked hard. He was up before the sun came up and he worked late into the night. Everything was run well and he was very happy with this guy's work. And then one night, in the, in the middle of the night, everybody was asleep. One of these storms blew in. You know, the ones that everybody feared. And the farmer jumped up and he grabbed a lantern because that's kind of the time they were living in. And he grabs this lantern and he, and he rushes over to where the, the, his, his helper was, li was staying on the farm and he, and he barged in the door and he goes, there's a storm, get up, we're gonna lose everything. I need your help. And the little guy leaned over and he said, um, I, I told you, I, I can sleep when the wind blows. And he rolled back over and pulled the covers up tight around his neck and went back to sleep. 
And this infuriated the farmer because he, he's like, what are you talking about? He wanted to fire him on the spot, but there was no time for that. So the farmer runs out and just to start doing whatever he could so that nothing blows away. And, and he quickly realizes, wait a minute, all the hay is tarped down. All the animals are in the barn. All the, the gates are closed. The shutters are closed. Everything is secure. He begins to look around and says, oh, we're ready for this storm. And when the farmer went back to bed, he knew exactly what that little old guy was saying. I can sleep when the wind blows because he has done everything needed to prepare for the storm. And I hear that little story and I go, you know, when we walk in obedience with God and we obey him, regardless of our circumstances, we live each and every day for the Lord and we're going to obey him. Doesn't mean we're going to be perfect. We still need God's grace. Amen, somebody. But we walk with God every day. We just live for him. Let him deal with the consequences. Friends, I'm telling you, when you live your life that way, when the storms come, you can still sleep at night. You can still sleep. You have this peace that God is in control and he has everything under control in your life and the circumstances. Boy, isn't that the kind of faith that we want? Walk with God that way. Well, Paul makes it to Rome eventually. And then the book of Acts just ends. It really, it ends very abruptly. It says in, on page 442, this is Acts chapter 28, verse 30 and 31. He makes it to Rome, and for two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And the end. Anybody find that kind of an odd way to end the book of Acts? Well, what happened to Paul? I've got all kinds of questions. Well, what happened to Paul? Um, we can assume, I mean, the angel told him he's going to stand before Caesar, so we can assume that that happened. Well, what happened next? Nobody really knows for sure, just to be honest with you. Some, most, the most accepted answer is that Paul probably died right there in Rome. That was the end. He completed the task for which the Lord had called him to. Others believe that maybe he was eventually released, maybe Caesar let him go, and he went on to do his ministry, and, and that, we don't know for sure what happened to Paul, but I believe that the book of Acts ends somewhat abruptly on purpose. I mentioned this last week just a little bit, I'll mention it again. I think it kind of ends abruptly and open-ended, like, well, what happens next? I think it has that kind of ending, because if you think about it, the New Life Christian Church and all the Christians who have followed is what happens next. If you want to know, where's my place in God's story? It's right here. We are a part of the church. We are the body of Christ. We are the witnesses of the Lord to boldly and courageously and obediently take the good news to those who so desperately need to hear it. The church is alive and the book of Acts, the story of the church, is still being lived out to this day. And we're never going to see in Acts chapter 28, verse 33. There's no more words to be written. But there are actions and lives to be lived out. We are, if you will, Acts chapter 28, verse 33 and following. We are the continuation of this, the work that was started in the New Testament. And it will not be completed until Jesus comes again to get us. And that's our job. And that's where we find our place in this story. So can I encourage you with this truth? As we live out our lives as witnesses to the good news of Jesus, as changed people, to obey God no matter what. 
and let God deal with the consequences of that obedience. Let me pray with me, would you?